0: Coach Taku, making anime your new life coach. Beloved Coach Taku listeners, new and old, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Coach Taku. I am Christina Stathopoulos, joined by my radiant, timeless, gorgeous, brilliant co host, Mary. And guess what? It's OG time. We're going back, 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 back again, which is perfect because the show literally has reincarnation involved in it. We are covering the original. Wait, wait, ready? Ready? You might want to sit for this because we are covering Inuyasha. Oh, so excited for this. A quick shout out. I don't know if she'll ever listen to this, but one of my best friends in middle school, her name was uh, Jimin Yoon. And I used to go to her house every time a new Inuyasha movie got released on VHS and we'd watch it together. So that's how old school the movies used to come out on a VHS tape. Anywho, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Inuyasha is the beloved story of our infamous half-dog, half-demon, half-dog-demon hybrid, whose name is Inuyasha. And essentially, his entire existence, he's been after this immense jewel of power known as the Shikon jewel. And on his journey, he falls in love with this amazing priestess, Kikyo, you know, cue some fighting and some sacrifice and Kikyo sacrificing herself so as to protect this jewel from evil and she dies. However, when you fast forward hundreds of years, we meet Kagome, who is the daughter of the local Shrines family. You know, she is studying to be a priestess herself. She's in high school. And as it turns out, she is the reincarnation of this priestess. And upon falling down her family's well one day, is transported through a mystical portal to the feudal era of Japan. And so, you guessed it, she meets Inuyasha. They go on this journey together. Uh, This series is very much a love story, but it's also super action-based and i could go through the whole cast of characters but we're going to cover them quite a bit in this episode so for
1: now mary anything you want to add about the series just uh, so Kagome, our new our new priestess she actually has the jewel inside of her because Kikyo burned it with herself. So now Kagoma's carrying it. And because Kagoma is so new to this world, kind of gets torn out of her by a demon. And then she shoots it with an arrow. She didn't have good aim at this point in the story. And the jewel breaks into hundreds and hundreds of pieces. And now she's on a search to get the jewel back intact because what happens is this is a really dark, powerful jewel. And when it gets sucked in by someone evil, it turns into catastrophe for the village person, et cetera. And so how does this all relate to coaching, you may ask? And I'm so glad you have that question. And this is what my answer for you is going to be. I think one of the really cool things about this series is that it really looks at the way people are committed to each other and the commitment that this team, Inuyasha's team, which includes Kagome and some of the other characters, have to like really bring in peace to this world in whatever way that looks like. And for this story, it's by defeating Naraku, who's like the biggest monster that they have to face. He's really like the puppet master with all of these little demons and he's causing rifts. And then also by like um, trying to destroy the jewel or trying to make it at least have a better purpose. And what we learn about this jewel is that it's super dark. And that it itself causes drama and rift because the more darkness it instills in a person or a demon, the stronger it becomes and the darker it can cause havoc upon the world. Yeah. And so, you know,
0: having this jewel as a huge plot device for the series is great because I think what it models in a real world setting not to dismiss you if you in the real world are in fact a dog demon that has a magical jewel, but for the rest of us mere mortals, is, you know, I think this concept of grit and commitment is super important because even if you're not trying to slay evil demons and save the earth, like circumstances come up in our lives. Things that sway us from what we're committed to, things that wanna move us off the path, things that that even make us doubt what it was we say we wanted. And so I think all of the different relationships in this series and the way that this team has a commitment to each other and to their mission really exemplifies that. Like how do you continue to prevail even when faced the most dire circumstances?
1: and i think to start the conversation inuyasha and kagome are just like one of the best examples of this because as you'll recall inuyasha falls in love with kikyo or kagome's former reincarnate former self (laughs) and it's they're they're used against each other they're tricked by naraku the evil demon to actually kill each other um so kikyo ends up dying and and Inuyasha ends up being, um, he basically gets hit by one of Kikyo's arrows and he's bond, bonded to this tree where he can't leave. He's like basically in a sleep. And it's heartbreaking because you see how they were played against each other. They had no idea that this was what, what was actually happening. And this is like the work of the jewel, right? This is the darkness that it wreaks. This is the havoc that it creates. And what's cool about the relationship between Kagome and Nyasha is that many times over throughout the series, because it has a lot of episodes, they're played against each other to try to do the same thing. Where Kagome has an arrow that she's pointing to in Yasha, where Nyasha is forced to, like like revive his demon self and try to kill her. And what you'll see is that time and time again, the commitment that Kagome has to to her love for Inuyasha, to her, to the peace that she wants to bring to this world, actually forces her to not shoot that arrow and say, I'm going to trust Inuyasha. I trust this love that we have. And I can't kill and I can't shoot someone that I love. And that trust actually kind of switches something for Inuyasha too, because he realizes that he wants to protect this woman and he wants to protect her from an evil that he has that, that comes her way. And so his commitment is to bring peace, but also to make sure that she's safe in this journey. And time and time again, we see how this plays out with their relationship, especially towards the end of the series, where once again, they're pitted against each other in very similar fashion. And once again, they both choose each other and they both choose to bring peace and they both choose to destroy the evil that's here
0: yeah and you know first of all talk about just classic anime love story like when I when I think of like you know early childhood development of what taught you what gave you your ideals of romance you know some people had Disney princesses I had Kagome and (laughs) Inuyasha Um, and you know, I, I think to to riff off of what you're saying, Mary. Like, I think you know, we've talked in a couple of episodes now of how to break up the way that it's always gone. And not to knock Kikyo, like Kikyo, the few episodes we get a flashbacks with her in them. Like, she's a completely badass character. But in some ways, her getting reincarnated into Kagome is what allows Inuyasha to be different what enables Inuyasha to practice trust in a whole new way because even though Kagome is a reincarnation she's still very much herself and the trueness in her heart and the willingness to trust Inuyasha over and over and over again even when he's throwing her off of cliffs and all the other crazy antics that he's up to when he's you know possessed by his demon side Possessed by this evil energy, it it's eye-opening, it's new, it, it disrupts the old patterns that have been there for him for so long.
1: Yeah. And just to be super clear, it was not always this way. Like at the beginning of this series, they hated each other. I mean, Iniyasha has this necklace around him that kind of forces him to obey Kagome very much like a dog. And so she tells him to sit and then he'll just really slam down on the floor. And he hates Kagome because he reminds, uh, she's a reminder of Kikyo, of the woman who actually just tried to kill him and put him to sleep for hundreds of years. So there's not a really good relationship between them. And it's actually their mutual goal, their initial mutual goal of getting the jewel back in one piece that has them work together. And their reasons are different. Like at first, the commitment isn't there. Like, Inuyasha wants the jewel because he wants to become a full-fledged demon and become really powerful. And Kagome just wants the jewel to put right what she made wrong. Um, so you see that they have two very different goals. They relate to each other in a very different way. But as they're working together, Kagome's, um, she has this energy about her that's fun and light and vibrant. And that actually inspires Inuyasha to think differently about people. And Kagome is really different than Kikyo in many ways too. Where Kikyo is soft-spoken and really um, kind of sure of herself, Kagome is still finding herself in many ways. And she's very stubborn, really loud. And she has so much heart that she's not afraid to show. She's not afraid to show her vulnerability. And with Kikyo, that's just not present. So that commitment comes over time. And it's not something that's just made in one day. But by the end of the series, you see how solidified it is. You see how much trust there is. You know, those trust falls that you do with teams. Well, this one wouldn't even hesitate to just throw herself and say, he's actually going to come save me. It's actually this that kind of leads this beautiful moment towards the end where she's actually sucked by the jewel. And I don't know if you remember it really well, Christina, but if you do, you want to speak on that. Well, here. So at the end, um, uh, Kagome is sucked in by the jewel. And the jewel actually has this ever going, ongoing battle inside of itself between a priestess and the demons. And it just goes on and on, creating this havoc and darkness until it gets picked up by a new demon or a new person that's going to use it for evil purposes. Its purpose is to grant a wish, but the wishes always turn bad. So Kokoma is faced with this jewel at the end, forced to face the final decision to make a wish that she knows is gonna go wrong, but she also doesn't want to get stuck in this everlasting darkness. It's her trust in Inuyasha that he's actually going to come to save her and find her that stops her from making the wrong wish. And when she finally, when Inuyasha does finally get to her, she makes the only wish that was. Possible to break this curse and break them out of this, which was disappear, no longer be in this world.
0: Yeah, and you know, when you talk about grit, when you talk about commitment, this is a this is such a powerful moment because you see Kagome choose something that's larger than her own feelings like her commitment and her love to Inuyasha is actually deeper than her desire to be with him. And I think it's, I think the purity of that and the resolve around that is a really useful thing to look at when you start to explore some of the other characters in this series. Um, Because I I can't have an Inuyasha episode without talking about uh, Sango and Moroku, who are my two favorite characters in the series, who... Similarly, have a strong and true love between each other, but I think that they're the couple who more so can occur as disempowering at times, because there's just a relationship that they have to their circumstances that's far more real and severe than Kagome allows hers between Inuyasha's to be.
1: Yeah. So what we see with Sango is that look, she's had her fair share of violence and strife. And I think what we noticeably see, especially at the end, is that Sango can give in to despair and hopelessness a little bit more quickly than Kagome and Inuyasha can. And that's probably a result of what she's experienced by losing her family, by the betrayal of her brother, by all these questions. And now um, with her relationship with Muroku, she's also um, at a loss. And so, in the end, she has this choice whether she sacrifices Rin, which is who's a little girl in the story, and saves Moroku, or whether she just lets Moroku die and, at the expense, you know, and lets the little girl live. And it's a look, it's a really difficult choice, but she gives into the despair of it and she gives into the hopelessness of it rather than looking at it a little bit more uh, from a more detached way and looking at it more objectively and realizing that what she's looking at is actually an illusion. Uh, Similarly, Maroku has this wind tunnel in his hand. It's like a black hole that kind of sucks you up. (laughs) And the more he uses this, the more it sucks him up physically to the point where at the end of the story it's very close to like destroying him completely like he'll get sucked in by a black hole and disappear it's really dramatic but what we see is that because he realizes that his time is short on this earth he just wants to be the best womanizer there is out there and while he is committed to his team and his friends and sango because they do have a beautiful romance um he's also really committed to just living in the moment and spreading as many children throughout the world as he can, you know, leaving a legacy of some kind. And that's one of those unspoken commitments, because that unspoken commitment actually interferes many times with his relationship with Sango, rightly so. So, you know, by looking at them, I think that's a place to look for each of them. Like if we were coaching, I think this would be a beautiful coaching conversation around like, what are you really committed to? And how is, are these choices affecting that commitment? What do you want to do about it?
0: and, And I want to be clear, like, as we learn, the love still wins in the end. But I think what's useful to highlight in Sango and Miroku's journey versus Inuyasha and Kagome's is this is what we mean in coaching when we say surround yourselves that have access to possibility Because I truly believe in the Inuyasha Kagome dynamic. Kagome has access to possibility. Like she's the one that has hope. She's the one that believes in what's possible. She's the one that holds on to trust and love in the face of all the shit that tells her, give that up, girl. Like run for the hills. Don't do that shit anymore. Whereas Sango and Moroku, like they're both very sad and in a way depressing characters. And they're both very committed to their strategies to compensate for that. And I think what ultimately makes the difference for them in their relationship is, you know, just what, like, like Moroku being willing to open his heart up just enough to see a fate in his life. That's worse than a fate of him being consumed by the wind tunnel. And so what I love about kind of the final arc of their storyline together is that you see Moroku, who typically you know, relates to the wind tunnel as a last resort because it's slowly consuming him, when it comes to saving Sango, uses it relentlessly and unabashedly and is willing to do it for as long as it takes to protect her from all of the you know, tentacles and weird things that are emerging with this final battle with uh, Naraku. And in return, what's really special is you see Sango who oftentimes falls to despair or oftentimes falls to the like, I have to fight and I have to be stronger and I have to be better to, to beat whatever is out there. Like ultimately her only wish with Moroku at the end is to be allowed to die with him and to be allowed to go into the wind tunnel together so that he's not left alone.
1: But I also think, Christina, that this is where that commitment to team really comes into play, because when you're in your own stuff and you're really feeling it and it's dark little hole and, and you're nice and cozy there that's when the commitment to team, because remember that you're not alone when you're in a team, that's when all those other people can actually come in to break that up. (laughs) And so what you see with Sango and Roku as they're in this, okay, we're going to die for each. And, you know, like this and Juliet moment where they're ready to like <laughs> die together. You see Sheepo, who's a little fox. I think he's a little fox demon. He comes in and he's like, hey, I found you guys. Let's get out of here. And so it brings up a renewed hope because they're not alone. Like you're never alone when you're in a team, when you have that tribe, when you have that support. And their commitment for each other actually enables them to say, oh, wait, this isn't really the end. Just kidding. And I can still fight, and I can still go back in like let's let's go together, you know as a team
0: yeah, and it's also hysterical because talk about using people's despair as plot devices because here's Moroku like going about his life trying to avoid the fact that eventually he'll be consumed in a black hole and trying to be a womanizer and play off that it doesn't matter to him, mm-hmm. and then literally the Curse of the Wind Tunnel fades as soon as they defeat Naraku, and it's like, wow, my dude! If you had just gone ahead and been real with what you actually wanted out of life, which is to live it, to live all of it fully, you know, imagine how much shorter the series might be. And I get that—that's the point. That you need characters to have flaws and be unwilling to ask for help. Um, But I think about that a lot. Like I think about how for a lot of these characters the answer or the solution to their deepest struggle is actually fairly simple. And in their own shit, in their own patterns, they can't see the simplicity of it. They're very much attached to their circumstances instead.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what's brilliant about the series and about putting this specific duel there because it plays on that. It plays on those weaknesses and those desires and those things that we don't think we have access to. And that's what I think makes for the interesting coaching conversation. And it really takes someone like Kagome, who's in some ways removed from it because this isn't her era and she's in a different time, both physically and emotionally, and says, no, I am true to what I want. And what I want is I love this this person, whether he loves me, whether he doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't matter, but I love him. I'm going to stay by his side and we're going to see this through till the end. And it's that purity of thought that actually creates something different for all of them in some way.
0: Yeah. And so talking about how it's, you know, ultimately teamwork and pinging off of other individuals to reap the reward of a transformed life, so to speak, before we wrap things up, I just got to give a huge shout out to one of the other relationships in the series that we haven't touched yet, which has got to be the Sashomaru-Rin relationship um i'm gonna start this off and then mary i know you got to take it because it's just so good but so is the fully demon half-brother of inuyasha and you know uh his whole spiel is he's proud of being a demon because you know as a result he's ruthless and he doesn't have a heart and he can get his shit done um but he allows this sweet little girl Rin to be his accomplice in all of his murders and pillages and all these other things. And I, I mention them because the beauty of their relationship is for Sashomaru, the biggest lesson for him to learn in the series is the worth of a life and the ability to gain the same compassionate heart that Inuyasha has. And so something that's really, really moved me the first time I watched it, and, and this is a spoiler, is what it took for Sashomaru to gain that compassionate heart was to ultimately see the life that was worth the most to him be lost, which is Rin's. at one point. She does die. And I think what's really telling about it is here you have someone who's only ever cared for himself and therefore could never really understand the worth of a life unless he himself died, now have someone who's even more important to him than himself. And to have that hard lesson learned in a way that is uh, very touching compared to the
1: demon that we're first introduced to in the series. Yeah, I think that's one of the most fun relationships in the whole series, Christina, because- the little girl's devotion, Rin's devotion to Sisho Maru, is, is n- not comparable. Like she trusts him blindly with faith. She will follow him. doesn't matter what he's doing, what he's up to. She will be there. And that's just the kind of love that she has for this person who saved her life, for this demon who saved her life. And she doesn't know anything else, but she knows that he takes care of her and that he'll take care of her no matter what. Is this almost kind of blind faith in this, in this character. And so, and for Seishomaru, like, I think that's new for him to have someone rely on him like that, to see him as not a monster, but a savior of some sort is actually really different for him. But it's actually what allows him to create this relationship with this little girl and start to relate to people differently. And what ultimately has him go into the belly of this, of Naraku of this monster at the end just to save her life because he doesn't really care about how the world goes or if it doesn't but he cares about her and you can see that he's willing to go through hell and back just to save her but I think to, to almost like close this out Christina I think one of the things that I got from watching this whole series and watching it from a coaching perspective is that there are so many times where the odds were just against them I mean here's this thing that's playing against your your emotions that your darkest thoughts and it's easy to fall into that trap but by sticking together by like having this commitment to love by having this commitment to team they're actually able to move forward with levity because we've seen so many other animes christina that are so dark and we're like uh oh. aka death note that just went a different totally different direction But actually their commitment to something bigger and higher than themselves that's actually empowering has these moments of levity where you think it's going to be okay. They're going to make this through. And it's fun to watch them develop these relationships.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, uh, as we're closing things out, I realized that there's so many other dynamics that we could speak to. Like we could talk about Sashomaru and Inuyasha. We could talk about the other antics that the gang has with one another, not just the romantic aspects of the series. And so if you're craving more and you're listening to the episode the day it comes out this Friday, then join us tonight on Instagram Live. Uh, We go live every Friday evening, usually around 6 p.m. Eastern. We try our best to be on time and we do a debrief of all the things that we wished we could have covered in our 30 minutes and then talk about what else is coming up on the show. And so you're welcome to join us, bring your questions, bring your comments, bring your happy hour beverage with you to have a good time with us. And if you can't make it, or if you're watching this episode at a later time, go back on our Instagram,
1: Coach Taku Pod. We post all the replays on our IGTV. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Please feel free to leave us a comment, email us, send us your thoughts and feedbacks. Let us know what else you'd like us to cover. And until next time. Bye everyone. Take care. Thank you for watching Coach Taku. If you liked this episode, please share it and consider subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Have an idea for an episode or a show that you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Taku Pod, C O H C H T A C U P O D or email us at coachtakupad at gmail.com.
0: Love your wonderful host. In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at herextinaroar on Instagram, and you can follow Mary at raven5130 on Instagram. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.